I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Hello and welcome to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Welcome back, everybody. It's almost Thanksgiving. The holidays are upon us. So over the next couple of weeks, I'll do some episodes about the holidays, how to handle some maybe difficult times with family and some really great times with family and friends and also what to do if you are alone this holiday season. But for today, I want to talk about learning and how people learn, the different kinds of learnings, learning, excuse me, and how you can break a bad habit. In addition, we have a Q&A about relationships and whether or not when you're in a relationship that's stable, that spark or that intensity that you're looking for or that you crave because of the BPD brain ever comes back or exists. Um, awesome. So we can get started. Also to update you for everyone who is following the saga that is our um, contracting situation. Things are better now. It has been a pretty interesting series of unfortunate events with our water heater pipe bursting and the oven that we bought was actually a lemon. So quite interesting. And it's, you know, we're at the point where we're standing in the kitchen toasting to our like with almond milk, guys, toasting with almond milk to our uh, successes and how we're almost finished with this whole thing. And then explosion, water pipe burst. So, you know, things are, it's one of those things where I run downstairs and, you know, Jay's able to turn off the water. And so we're just like, hey, you know what? At this point, we have to laugh and just kind of take things as they come. So thank you all. We're, we're getting through it and everything is great. We are getting a new oven delivered and just moving forward because life has, there's obstacles in life. And what we've learned is that when there's an obstacle, you just go straight through it, climb over it. You don't go around it, avoid it, run any other way or anything like that. So thank you all for your care and concern. Things are looking great and we're just really grateful to have each other, to have our family together for this holiday season. Okay. One of the biggest questions I get is, how do I change? How do I change my habit? And what I wanted to talk to you all about today is, like I said, the different type of learning. Today, we're only going to talk about three learned responses. So much of our behavior is learned. Animal behavior and human behavior are both, we both have learned behaviors. And what we call that learned behavior is a learned response. So a learned response can be one of several types. We're going to talk about a conditional response, trial and error, and habit. So let's explore each of these three types of learned responses. The first one is conditional response. A conditional response is the response, let's say, that your dog would exhibit if you train him to bark when you say speak. So when you trained your dog to bark, if this is something that you're interested in and you say the word speak, when the dog bark, you would give him something to eat as a reward. Our German shepherd, Katja, she can clean up her toys. So she can take a toy and put it in a basket. She can do that with all of her toys. And how we got her to do that is that she would put one basket, one toy in the basket, and she would get a food reward for that. So eventually she learned that if she wanted a treat, she'd have to put her toys in the basket. 
And now she loves to just put her toys in the basket because she really likes the praise that she receives. So we don't have to give her food. We can just put the toys down on the ground, put the basket down and say, hey, Katja, clean up your toys and she'll do it. This is a conditional response. So interestingly enough, humans have conditional responses as well. Frequently, when one thing happens, we expect something else to happen as a result. So let's say, for example, if you are working and your morning meeting is mid-morning right before lunch each day. So you might find yourself feeling hungry during the morning meeting. You'd slowly be conditioned to associate feeling hungry with your meeting. If on one day your boss is like, you know what, we're going to do the meeting earlier in the morning. You might find yourself feeling hungry again during this meeting, even though lunchtime is way farther off than it was before. This is because the meeting, which is the stimulus, has conditioned you to feel hungry, which is the response. So your hunger during the earlier meeting would be a conditional response. Some of you might have heard about conditional responses through Pavlov. You've heard of Pavlov's dogs where he had the steak would make the dog salivate. So he trained the dogs to salivate to the bell. Just a very famous experiment. So you want to think about whether or not your behaviors are conditional responses. And that's an example of those conditional responses. So remember, humans and animals both can have conditional responses. Another type of learning is trial and error learning. So we're going to talk about this a little bit. This kind of learning, it takes place by trying many things in a variety of ways. So what you do is, you know, try something, right? Trial and error. It is what it is. You try a bunch of things. Some of them work, some don't. But when you try things over and over again, you know, an animal or a human would learn what works and what doesn't work. So everyone, animals and humans, have trial and error learning. So let's give an example of a trial and error learning. So we'll look at the way that you would put together a jigsaw puzzle or one of those little puzzles when you're a kid. So if you'd watch a child put together a puzzle, the child would try one piece after another after another. Mistakes are made, or we would call them errors, as the child tries to figure out how the pieces fit together. Eventually, the child succeeds in putting all of the pieces together in the right way. And after playing with that same puzzle, like for days at a time, that child will learn how to put put it together quickly without any mistakes. Learning has occurred through trial and error. A lot of the learning that we were supposed to do as kids, as children, is accomplished by trial and error. Many things are tried at first and we make mistakes. Eventually, the task can be accomplished with few or no mistakes. Learning to walk, to eat, to ride a bicycle, they're all examples of tasks that were learned by trial and error. So it's important that, again, you're looking at the way that you learn new things. A lot of the times, people with borderline personality disorder or just sort of negative self-image, they don't look at trial and error learning as trial and error. It's more like trial and shame and quit and failure, right? Shame spiral, guilt spiral, right? 
But as a child, that wasn't something I would hope that you had gone through unless you had parents that were sort of, you know, um, punishing you every time you tried to do something or set out to do something new. So recovery, if looked at through the lens of trial and error learning, may be reframed to be a bit more, I don't know, maybe optimistic is a good word there. If you think about it, you're going to set out to try to have an identity and you're going to make mistakes or errors. And that's a normal part of life, of learning. However, there's a lot of habits and conditional responses that kind of muddy the waters there and make us go into those guilt and shame spirals. All right. The third type of learning response is called a habit. A habit is something that a person learns to do over and over again without even thinking about it. It's learned behavior that happens automatically without consciously thinking about it. It's similar to a reflex action, but it's not inborn and it has to be learned. So it's not something that you just know. We must learn a habit by repeating the same thing over and over and over again. So why do we develop habits? Well, we develop habits because we want to do them or because we enjoy them. To learn a habit, we have to repeat the actions and behaviors many times. So some examples of habits are tying your shoelaces, brushing your teeth, opening a door, getting dressed. Developing habits actually frees our minds to think of other things while we do the actions of the habit. You can go walk over to a door and open the door and think about other things. You can tie your shoes and think about the plans that you have for the evening, right? So a habit is usually formed, performed quickly and accurately, and it's done the same way each time we do it. Now, if we want to further break up habits, we want to break them up into simple motor acts and then habits of adjustment. So a simple motor act is something that is simple, clearly, and it requires just movement of the muscles. So opening a door, you would just grasp the doorknob, turn the handle, and the door would swing open. Even though you usually do this without thinking and you do it quite naturally at one point in time, this action and habit had to be learned. Another habit, like I was saying, was called is called a habit of adjustment. So it's so a habit of adjustment is usually involving a thought or an attitude or a sense of right and wrong. Some of these habits are good and some of them are bad. The habits are good or bad depending on whether or not they follow your moral compass or the way it affects us or other people. For example, Cleaning yourself up, keeping a neat appearance, having pleasant manners, those are all considered good habits, right? But an example of a bad habit would be biting your nails, talking about other people, venting, maybe even smoking cigarettes, drinking too much, things like that. People usually learn bad habits because they think it will bring them pleasure or something can be gained from them. So a bad habit would be expecting the person you're in relationship with to come after you when you run away in an argument crying. That's a bad habit. So you think that something can be gained, meaning you'll get the attention you want, etc. But these bad habits usually bring bad results. Again, bad habits usually bring bad results or they are offensive to others. Fortunately, bad habits can be broken or discontinued just as habits can be learned. Bad habits can be broken, and good habits learn to replace the old bad ones. Several steps are necessary to break a bad habit and to form a new good habit. As you go through the steps, 
Always remember that this isn't easy, but it's very key to working through some of those behavioral patterns that you seem like you just can't get a handle on. So before I go over these seven steps, what I would want to do is I want you to to take down some notes and I want you to write down what are the three types of learn responses, conditional, trial and error, and habit. And I want you to start to bring into your awareness over the week whether or not your behaviors are habitual, conditioned, or whether or not you are engaging in trial and error learning. Once you start to categorize that and bring that into your awareness, then you can look at what are the habits that are bad, offensive, bring bad results, and what am I willing to change? Change can only occur if you're ready, willing, and able. So you can create a little scale for yourself and say on a scale of 0 to 10, if this is my habit, how ready, willing, and able am I? Then we can go into our steps. All right. So here are the seven steps to breaking a bad habit. Step one, you have to have a desire to change. If you really don't want to change, you probably won't succeed in breaking a bad habit. So you have to want to. Step two, admit that the habit is bad or wrong. How many of you go through and you're doing a habit, someone points it out to you and you're like, no, 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 that's not a bad habit. Or maybe you rationalize your way through it. So you're like, no, well, I have BPD or I'm sad today or, right? Just admit that it's bad or wrong so that you can begin on that path to acceptance. Step three, concentrate on changing the habit so you don't unconsciously continue to do it. Ask the people that are in relationship with you to remind you of the habit you wish to change if you're willing to do that, and then talk about the benefits that result from changing. Put up signs in your house so that you have both visual cues as well as that willingness, readiness, and ability to change that habit. You want to remind yourself of why you're doing what you do. Step four. Be thankful every time you break the pattern of the habit or change your behavior rather than follow the bad habit. Recognize yourself. You could be proud of yourself when you take a step towards breaking that bad habit. It's important that you follow step four. Be thankful every time you break that pattern. Step five, if it's possible, avoid putting yourself in situations where the bad habit is likely to occur. So my bad habit was eating too many sweets. So I don't go near the department in the store where I'm going to be hungry getting Swiss rolls. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that because it's a bad habit that brings bad results. I save my sweet tooth for wonderful holidays. Just an example. Step six. Never make any exceptions to your plan to break the bad habit. I'm going to say that one more time. Never make any exceptions to your plan to break the bad habit. Making exceptions lets you make excuses. And soon you will have more excuses than successes. And finally, step seven, don't give up. You know that saying that would be on your elementary school wall? If you haven't seen it, this is what it is. If at first you don't succeed, try, try, try again. 
I've watched, I read that poster over and over and over again. It was in my second grade classroom, fifth grade, and somewhere along the lines up until high school. And I always thought, yeah, right. If at first you don't succeed, try, try, try again. I never had that understanding of trial and error learning. Of course, if you don't know how to do something new, you have to try it. And when you make a mistake, you count it as an error. Then you move forward. Right now, LJ has a goal of wanting to bounce the basketball between his legs. Basketball season is coming, guys. Football's done. And he wants to be able to bounce it between his legs both ways while walking up and down the court and standing up straight. So he is, we're taking the trial and error learning approach. This is something that he's doing as an experiment. And he realized that his error as he started out on the experiment is actually his focus. Because after um, two minutes and 26 seconds during the first couple trials, he stopped being able to focus. And so the ball would kind of go all over the place. So he's trying to work up to focusing for 10 straight minutes, which requires daily practice on this, on this uh, building this new habit and learning this new skill. So it's just an example of putting on an experimental lens. So the next time you set out in recovery to do the right thing the right way or to be honest or to, you know, you try to have better relationships with the people in your life and you make a mistake, count it as an error. Go back and think, okay, that's an error. It's a mistake. Everyone makes mistakes. I have to try again. So next time I'm going to do it a different way. Step seven also includes if, if, you know, understanding that if you fail to break the bad habit at times, Pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and try again. Look, I know that our emotions make it so difficult, heavy, and complicated to do that. But start small and trust that, trust biology, trust that you can replace those bad habits in the same way that you acquired the habitual learning to begin with. If you could figure out how to do the negative bad thing to get those bad results, there is nothing stopping you from enacting your, the beauty of free will to choose to make that change. You got this. All right, time for that Q&A. All right, so this week's Q&A is from someone who messaged me on Facebook. Let's see. Is it normal for corrective relationships to feel emotionally bland? I have fallen in and out of love with favorite hosts, and those relationships always break down within the first few weeks or a couple of months. It's usually unrelated to my BPD, but accepting it is very hard because of the disorder. I have been in a relationship for about six months now, that started as impulsive sex with a friend that I never intended to grow upon. I got my diagnosis about three months into it, and my feelings have remained unattached to him. But this is probably the healthiest relationship I've ever been in because we talk to work through everything and try to accommodate for each other's needs before big problems arise. And this stops emotions from spiraling out of control. Awesome. I guess my question is, is it unrealistic to want to feel deeply in love with someone that I can be with long term as someone with BPD? Is it possible to feel the kind of butterflies and attachment I used to in a healthy relationship? Or do I need to let go of that help? Hope. Okay, what a wonderful question. First of all, I will say that it is incredibly powerful for me to read that 
the emotions don't spiral when there's communication, accommodation, compromise, and and transparency. This is important if you're in a relationship with someone that you do communicate and you really try to practice vulnerability. It does help so much. Hard thing to do, but it's a beautiful thing that you were able to do that. Now, is it possible to feel the kind of butterflies and attachment that you used to? I mean, that you used to feel, right? It's a common question that I get. And it's difficult to answer that on an individual level because I'm not sure what your perception of butterflies and attachment were. So I have to speak generally here. Um, And so what the answer really is, is, well, first of all, I have a question back to that. If you want in your life recovery from BPD and you seek stability, do you think that stability should be a roller coaster? And in terms of the butterflies that you experience, when you are in a relationship with someone and you're in BPD brain, are those butterflies all the time? Or is it sometimes like a nauseous feeling, like a feeling of your stomach dropping, right? So in a healthy relationship where you're securely attached, there's a different kind of excitement. So no, I don't think that you need to let go of the hope. I think that you might need to let go of what you're thinking is excitement in a relationship because those butterflies are when things are new. The best part of a relationship is the stability that comes from knowing that you have a partner that you can talk to, share with, spend time with, that someone will always be be there for you. Is it always like fun and exciting? No. Is it always stable and calm? Yes. Could it always be fun and exciting? Absolutely. I'm sure it could. I don't know always, right? Because, you know, that's a hyperbole, right? It's an extreme. But you could make it that way. You could create a vision board with your person or like a, a dream board or a goal and you can share account like a Pinterest account or you can look at dream destinations where you'd want to go or have a list of like a relationship year bucket list instead of like a, we're never going to do this list. You could start taking new classes together, learn a new skill. I had a client who bought a boat that was like run down and her and her um, fiance they rehab this boat and they started sailing on it. I mean, that's awesome. That's exciting. That's fun. Is that the same as having those like initial ooh butterflies? <laughs> no, definitely not. So I think that the hope that you're talking about doesn't get let go. It gets transferred and dug into. Really ask yourself if Is this a person? So also you can start at the end of your life. Is this a person I want to grow old with? Is this a person that's going to honor my legacy if I go before them? Is this a person that's going to, you know, I'm going to to want to, when everything's said and done, like sit on a porch and rock in a rocking chair and just do a lot of nothing with? And if the answer is, yeah, you know what? I could see myself with this person. Well, then think, okay, well, what's making me feel bored right now? Am I insecure? Is stability just uncomfortable for me so I'm feeling like I need to rock the boat? If all of those things are true and you're feeling like you need to rock the boat, set some goals with your partner and and take steps towards achieving them. And remember that the honeymoon phase in the relationship isn't meant to last. It's what's inside and the connection and the vulnerability you have that will last. So keep working on who you want to be, what your identity is, and encourage your partner to do the same. 
set goals, walk towards them together, and create that butterfly feeling. Don't let go of that hope ever. All right. Thank you so much for submitting that question. I will see you all next week for another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Okay. Thanks for listening. That was From Borderline to Beautiful, a production of Skeeter's Strength Mindset Coaching Systems. We help frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at skeetersstrength.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Cast or any app you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. Next time on the show, we're going to continue our eating disorder series. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from last episode, so let's hear them. I'd love to hear whatever questions you have too. Just download that Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. So, if you like this podcast, not only can you download that Anchor app, but you can help us get this message out to so many more people. Head over to Apple and offer us that five-star rating and let me know what you're thinking about some of our material. The more stars and higher rating we get, the more people will have access to From Borderline to Beautiful, hope and help for individuals with BPD. 